0: I think the next couple weeks, I want to talk about Israel and the Jewish people here. So if you would turn to Romans chapter 1 tonight. And we'll begin reading just one verse out of Romans chapter 1, verse 16. And Paul writes there, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then if you would just turn one chapter over... I want to look at two verses in chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. And he writes there, "...tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that does evil, of the Jew first, and also of the Gentile, but glory, honor, and peace to every man that works good, to the Jew first, and also to the Gentile." So have you ever wondered why Paul wrote those words, to the Jew first? so what makes them so special because we all know that paul also says in galatians three he says this there is neither jew nor greek there is neither bond nor free there is neither male nor female for you are all one in christ jesus so if there's neither jew nor greek you know what difference does it make that the jew is first why is he writing that and that's the question i hope to answer tonight from the word of god that god can tell us why and here's the reason that that's important because we have a mostly gentile except for one and I I might partially qualify I don't know uh, church here at SCA because we're living in a world whether y'all are aware of it or not anti-semitism is on the rapid rise it is rising rapidly and we need to have a biblical basis for answering This anti-Semitic spirit that is on the rise and it's going to keep getting worse because Jacob's trouble hasn't happened yet. And the world will hate the Jews more than they do now before it's all over. And our answer has to be better than, well, our church has just always prayed for and supported Israel. You know, if that's your answer, what are you going to do to the person that looks at you and says, well, why? Why does your church support Israel? Why does your church pray for Israel? because they might give you running into a person today ten reasons why israel is oppressing the palestinians they may be a little more informed than we are about things like that or they may tell you that israel as god's chosen people has been replaced by the church and the fact that they have their nation back is just purely political and has nothing to do with their right to exist and that is becoming a increasing theological position amongst evangelicals today. So a lot of people are changing their position on that, and so we need to have a reasonable response, I would say, from God's word, because isn't that what we base our actions and our beliefs on, right? So we don't support Israel because Charlton Heston did a great job portraying Moses in the Ten Commandments. That's not the reason, is it? We just really like Israel, man. It's just a great movie, and or that you know, in Ben Hur, the Jew driving that chariot gets rid of the evil Roman Masala. I'm saying that is not why, even though that is a great movie by the way in my opinion, but that's not why we support Israel here as a church. So I just want to take a few minutes I so want you all hang with me here. I don't typically do things like this but I want to show you how anti-semitism is on the rise in the world because I don't know how much people keep up with stuff on the news because we're a little bit isolated in a way here in America. Now, I thought the number would have been higher than this, but there is approximately 14 million Jews worldwide. 14 million is not really that many. And they're mainly in two places. So in Israel, there is slightly over 6 million Jews. And the United States is second with 5.7 million Jews. Europe, including Russia, has 1.4 million Jews. And the rest of the world, there are one million Jews in the rest of the world scattered throughout the world and they're congregated in places like Argentina, Brazil, Mexico, South Africa, Australia, and Canada. But I don't know how much you've been following the news but anti-semitism has been on the rapid rise over in Europe in the past few years. So most of what I'm going to give you is fairly current news because I could go back next week we're going to look at how the churches been anti-semitic in a way you might be surprised at but just a week ago in germany german chancellor angela merkel said that they have to take intensive action those were her words that's a quote intensive action against anti-semitism and this is what she said anti-semitism is more widespread than we imagined and a man named joseph schuster who is the president of the central council of jews in germany His thing is, all these people from these Muslim countries are coming to seek asylum in Germany and all these European countries. And with them, they're bringing their anti-Semitic hatred and its influence in these cultures. And he said this, that asylum seekers are coming into the country Germany from cultures in which hostility towards Israel and anti-Semitism are a common practice. And they've had 1.1 million people seeking asylum in Germany in 2015, just this last year. And many of them, they're fleeing war and persecution. And here's the countries they're fleeing from, Syria, Iraq, and Afghanistan. And those people have no love for Israel, but they're flooding into these European countries. And Merkel went on to say this. She said, we must take care specifically also in youth. From countries where hatred of Israel and the Jews is widespread, we have observed in several schools and meeting places anti-Semitic events led by young people. So it's these young people that are being brainwashed as Muslims and they are coming over and they are causing trouble for the Jews in Europe. And not only that, another interesting fact is the Muslims are on the increase but the Jews in Europe are on the decrease their population is in Germany in 2013 for instance there was only 250 Jewish births in that country but there were 1000 deaths that's a bit of a net loss I would say right and France is where it is really bad the persecution of the Jews and it has the largest population of Jews in Europe the third largest in the world besides Israel and the United States. They make up less than 1% of France's population, the Jews that are there, but they are the target of over half of all racial attacks that take place in that country. Less than 1% of the population, but over half of all racial acts. In 2014, there were 851 recorded. Now there's a lot of stuff that goes on there that is not recorded. Believe me, I got way more information that I've read and looked at than I'm giving you tonight. Cuz it just become too much. But there are 851 recorded incidences in 2014 and that is double from the year before. And it keeps getting worse. And so as a result of all this persecution that's going on, some recorded and most of it not. And most of the time government officials and policemen they are just looking the other way. They're sent in there to do a riot control, and they don't do anything, and I read one case where these people are in a Jewish synagogue. There's over 200 people trapped in there. The police and the riot people aren't doing a thing. And they're hurling insults and rocks and bottles at this synagogue, and they are scared to death in there, in France. So in 2014, 7,000 Jews left France for Israel. And in this last year, 2015, 9,000 left. And in France, high schools, to give you an idea of what's going on, Jewish students are insulted, classrooms are vandalized, books are defaced, and fights break out, it said, in any classroom where they try to teach about the Holocaust. It causes fights to break out. One thing, I saw this right in the news today an 18 month long Ipsos survey and it was published in, here's a little French for you, Le Journal des Demanché." How do you like that? I practiced that all day. I'm not the least bit French in any sense of the word. But anyways, these researchers interviewed French people from a variety of backgrounds and they asked them their views on race and religion. The results All it did was going to cause greater concern for France's embattled Jewish community, they said. So one in five Muslims in that country believe there are, quote, too many Jews living in the country. And it says the general population seems to be suspicious now of the Jews living there. So the Jewish population in France is a half a million compared to over five million Muslims and they say there's too many Jews living there. That's what the Muslims say. And among the wider French population, 91%, almost all of the people living there in the general population of France said the Jews are very, quote, insular. I had to look that word up. They didn't teach me that one in college. Well, what that means is you're uninterested in any culture other than your own. So most of the people think the Jews don't care about France. All they care about is their own little culture they're narrow-minded well just over half of the people in france said that they have quote a lot of power and probably a lot of money too meanwhile it said one in ten jewish respondents said that they had been the victim of a physical assault due to their religion one in ten that's a lot of people and there's a lot of that going on so benjamin netanyahu the prime minister of israel he has issued this statement twice to the Jews over in Europe. And this is what he said, quote, to all the Jews of France, all the Jews of Europe, I would like to say that Israel is not just the place in whose direction you pray. The state of Israel is your home. He's calling for them to come back, and a lot of the Jews in France are heeding his call. It's upsetting a lot of these government officials in France when they're seeing this exodus of the Jewish people out of that country. So Diaspora Affairs Minister, this is that's a Jewish Affairs Minister, Diaspora, Naftali Bennett, he painted a dark picture of Jewish life in Europe. So he told the Israeli cabinet that anti-Semitism on the continent of Europe has reached unprecedented levels. That's what he's saying. Anti-Semitic incidents in London rose more than 60% in the last 12 months. And in the first quarter of 2015, they shot up 84% in France. So this agency in 2013 called the European Union's Fundamental Rights Agency reported that one-third of European Jews that had polled had admitted that they would refrain from wearing religious garb or Jewish symbols out of fear. And I could say more about that, but that's the truth. And further, 23% avoided attending Jewish events or going to Jewish venues. You think about that. And you would think the Holocaust hasn't been that long ago. And yet it's all coming right back again to the sense that's the way it all started back then. 60% of Sweden's Jews fear being publicly identified as Jewish. In 2014, there was a 40% surge in anti-Semitism worldwide, a 40% surge. So we're talking about the world and Europe, and it's bad and getting worse. And we think America, we don't have it here. We've got it here. It's not as bad as Europe, but we are not immune from it. It's mostly not done in the media, even though today, Interestingly enough, today CBS News, I think it was just yesterday this must have happened, these terrorists, I don't have all my facts 100%, so excuse me if you read it and it's a little different, news, but in essence, uh three terrorists kill a woman, her child and someone else on a public transportation system and the soldiers killed those three Palestinians. They're terrorists. They just got through killing innocent c- civilians and CBS News reported it Three Palestinians killed as violence continues. And the Jewish government protested that. I saw the headline. It's right on their website. and said, you can't say it that way. And so they changed the headline as a result of that. But that has happened more than once with CBS and CNN because they're trying to propagate this whole idea that the Palestinians are these poor people that are being oppressed by these Jews, the Jewish police. But the biggest... Area they're attacking here in America right now is on college campuses, because you think about it, you gain a foothold in the minds of young people, just like it's happening over in Europe with those young Muslims. When they graduate from college, they'll disperse it throughout the rest of society, and that's the way it works. Jewish Minister Bennett, that we just talked about, said there is a growing culture of hostility to Israel that makes Jews feel uncomfortable on American campuses and he asserts that 75% of American University students have witnessed anti-Semitism within the context of anti-Zionist campus organizations or from anti-Israel professors. Now there's a group known as Boycott, Divest, and Sanction, otherwise known as BDS, and they're talking about boycotting Israel and sanctioning Israel, and they're committed, they say non-violently, to pressuring Israel to withdraw from the West Bank and the Gaza Strip and to give all full rights back to all Palestinians. That's what they say on the surface, but it goes much deeper than that because that group in Oberlin College, which is in Ohio, up near Cleveland, they had a flyer posted at that college and on the front. So it's supposed to be coming against Jews, blacks, and gays, but instead it's all about the Jews on the front. That's all you see. It says on their fascist state speaking of israel and it says don't stand with israel and they have the jewish star big bold right in the middle of the whole thing with a swastika right in the middle calling it a fascist state guess what the college canceled classes that day so they shut down a whole campus their influence they're spread out all throughout the world but they're hitting these campuses in the united states and they're having influence on them And they've got the American Studies Association, the American Anthropological Association, and others to join in boycotts against Israel with all their propaganda. But, it's like I said, it's not just college campuses. That's the main focus right now. But the latest FBI statistics say that since 2013, Jews are by far the most frequent victims of religious-motivated hate crimes in America. Despite a Pew poll that said Jews are also the most warmly regarded religious group in America. So it seems like a contradiction, doesn't it? But it's not. Because right now, a lot of that, what's that telling you is a lot of this anti-Semitism in America is just on the fringe. But it's gaining ground. And I thought this, another thing, on the news this morning. So you don't have to search far. There was a new poll conducted in Israel that found an overwhelming number of the people of Israel, 63% of the Israelis found President Obama to be the worst president for Israel in the last 30 years. Anybody that watches Fox or anything, that kind of almost would go without saying, right? But here's my point in bringing that up. It's not to belittle the president, but don't you think that that anti-Israeli sentiment from the top is going to filter its way down and influence America, and it has, and it will. And it represents that anti-Jewish spirit that's growing in our country right now. So I said all that just to say we got a situation in this world that's getting worse as far as anti-Jewish sentiment. Anti-Semitism, it's known as and so we need to be understanding what our position and why we biblically have the position that we do Because when i went to the seminary and i went with the group over to israel of seminary students there our guide was a saved spirit filled guide and brought somebody in to talk to the group about how god was going to restore israel well they decided all these phd guys were with and all these master divinity students from southern seminary decided we need to have a thing to straighten everybody's thinking out and their whole thing is replacement theology that the church has replaced Israel. The country we're in, the fact that Israel got their nation back, that has nothing to do with anything. It's just a political thing. And the church has replaced Israel. Israel's not going to be restored to its land. It means nothing. And the few of us that took the other stand were in the definite minority. And I'm saying that's the growing sediment is growing in this nation. So, let's go back to Romans 1.16. So, I want to go back to answering this question. For Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I want to point out first, he says first of all though, that the power of the gospel is to who? Everyone, doesn't he? <laughs> That means all peoples on this earth can have salvation. Let's make that clear before we move on. So regardless of your race, color, wealth, background, education, everybody's eligible, right? No matter where you live, who you are, that's what Paul's saying there. And the only requirement is what? You have to believe, right? So I want to say, too, the Jews are first, but they have to believe to be saved just like we do, just like anyone does that is a requirement right down the line that doesn't change but he goes on though he doesn't stop there he goes on to qualify the everyone doesn't he and he does say to the jew first and the gentile second also. so why do they have the priority so i want to look at five ways that the jews have the priority five reasons why and let me say it's not original with me these five points i heard john piper say well, i thought they were good i modified them because there's some things i want to say they're not original with me, but the first thing I want to say, here's the reason that the Jews have priority, that he says to the Jews first, and that is they are God's chosen people. Now, you would all say, "Amen, we know that." I don't know how much we really know that. So, we're going to look at a few verses, I kind of have them grouped together in books so we're not flipping around too much, but we really I think need to see this. If you're in Romans and turn to Romans 9. Now next week Hopefully, Lord willing, we're going to deal with Romans 9, 10, and 11, and mainly chapter 11. But for tonight, right now, I want to look at Romans 9, verses 1 to 5. And Paul writes this. He says, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren... My kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites. So he's talking about natural Israelites. And look what he goes on to say in verse 4. To whom these Israelites, the ones he's related to in the flesh, pertains the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises whose are the fathers and of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all God blessed forever. Amen. But the first thing on that list, he says, is to whom pertains the adoption. Now, he's not talking about the same adoption that we receive as Christians. We're adopted into God's family. He's speaking here of this nation being chosen to be God's special people. And where did that start? If you would, turn back to Genesis chapter 12. Starts right here in Genesis 12, beginning in verse 1. Moses writes, Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a what? A land. And that will be critical in the future. Unto a land that I will show thee. Because a lot of Christians today are saying Israel doesn't get their land back. Some of them will say, well, yeah, maybe he's going to save a bunch of them, but they won't get their land brought back to them. Not finally. In verse 2, And I will make of thee a great nation, he tells Abraham, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curses thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And then look over in verses 6 and 7 of chapter 12 and Abraham passed through the land unto the place of Sikkim unto the palm of Morah and the Canaanite was then in the land and the Lord appeared unto Abraham and said unto thy seed will I give this land and there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him so he calls Abraham and he chooses him doesn't he and his descendants from all the nations of the earth, he chooses him to be his special people. And look over in Genesis 15, 18. And as a result of that promise, he makes a covenant. Genesis 15:18 says, In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land. From the river of Egypt unto the greater river, the river Euphrates. And then he goes on to name all the nations that are living there now, that they're going to be dispossessed. So he makes a covenant with Abraham at this point concerning his seed, and it involves specific land. And I want us to see next, he goes on and confirms the covenant with Isaac, Jacob, and even Joseph. So we see Isaac, if you'll turn back to Genesis 26. He continues this covenant and this promise with Isaac, confirms it again. Genesis 26, 3. We'll start in 2. And the Lord appeared unto him, Isaac, and said, Go not down into Egypt. Dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Verse 3, Sojourn in this land. I will be with thee. I will bless thee for unto thee and unto thy seed. I will give all these countries And he says here, I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father. He says, what I promised to Abraham, I'm promising to you, Isaac, his son. And then turn a few chapters over to chapter 28, and he says the same thing to Isaac's son, Jacob. Genesis 28, verse 4, and he says, And I give thee the blessing of Abraham to thee, and to thy seed with thee, that thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger, which God gave unto Abraham. And then look over in verse 13 of that chapter. And it says, And behold, the Lord stood above and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father and the God of Isaac, the land wherein thou liest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed. So apparently, the land's a big deal, which it was to people back then. The land was everything. Joseph recognizes the same promise. If you'll turn to Genesis 50 and verse 24, confirming this promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Genesis 50, 24, And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land, the land of Egypt, unto the land which He swore to Abraham. To Isaac and to Jacob. So, that covenant that the Lord made with Abraham was unconditional, unlike the Mosaic covenant, which was conditional. In other words, those group of people, he says, if you obey me, this is what I'll do. And if you don't, then you violated the covenant. But the covenant to Abraham was unconditional. It is going to happen regardless. In God's sovereignty, it will be fulfilled. And he swore by himself he could swear by no greater. It's unconditional. So you say, well, man, just we just saw about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, three individuals, but what about the whole nation? Because it's critical that we understand these promises and this covenant and that they are his chosen people is made to the entire nation of Israel, physical descendants. And so now we're going to go over to the book of Deuteronomy and look at a few places. So turn to Deuteronomy chapter seven, please, if you would. So he's made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob of seed and of land and of his presence to be with him. And so we're saying now, well, what about the people? And so in Deuteronomy 7, beginning in verse 6, it says this, the Lord speaking through Moses to the people of Israel, he says, for you are a holy people unto the Lord thy God. So we're saying they are his chosen people. What does it say there? The Lord thy God has chosen, elected them, chosen thee to be a special people unto himself. Look what it says. Above all people that are upon the face of the earth. And does he say that to them because they're such a great, righteous, holy people by nature? Look what he goes on to say. The Lord didn't set his love upon you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all people, but because the Lord loved you, and because why he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's why the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So there he's saying, I didn't choose you because you're some great, mighty, powerful nation. You were the, a few, but i did because i made an oath an unconditional oath and covenant with your fathers starting with abraham that you are my chosen people chosen out of all the nations and go over to chapter 10 if you would please deuteronomy 10 and look in verses 14 and 15 and look what the lord says here behold the heaven and the heavens of heavens is the lord thy god the earth also with all that therein is Verse 15, only the Lord had delight in thy fathers to love them, and he chose their seed after them, even you. Talking to the nation, above all people, as it is this day. So, you know, it's interesting, in verse 14, he said, God owns everything, the heavens and the earth. And what he's trying to say there is, he could have chosen anybody to be his people. But he said, no, what he did, he had delight in your fathers, beginning with Abraham, to love them. And why? Because it's his pleasure to do that. We don't know. He doesn't tell us. but he set his love upon them, and it will never leave those people. And he said, "Not just them, but you, the nation who is still here today. What other nation in all of history has been preserved like the Jews? I mean, how anyone can look at their situation and say, oh, it's just a luck that they're back there is, is ludicrous. Okay, and then look over in chapter 14. The last place we'll look about this where God calls them his chosen people. Deuteronomy 14, beginning in verse 1, he says, You are the children of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourselves nor make any baldness between your eyes for the dead. Verse 2. For you are a holy people unto the Lord thy God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a peculiar people unto himself above all the nations that are upon the earth. So is it getting through? He chose them above everybody else. They are his peculiar people out of all the nations on this earth that have ever existed. And Amos 3.2 says this, You only, he says to Israel, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. Does that mean he didn't know about any of the other nations? No, but that's that special knowing. He had his eye on them, his hand on them, above all the other nations of the earth. That's what he said to the Jewish people. And so that's my first point. That is why Paul says to the Jew first, that is one reason why they have priority of the Gentiles, because God has chosen those people above all the other nations on this earth all the other people to be his special people to fulfill his purposes and I'll say this whether the devil likes it and he doesn't or all these nations in Europe and America and this spirit that's coming on to try to destroy God's chosen people whether they like it or not the fact that what we just read is that he set his love on these people and says they are His special people, that will never change. As much as they want to make it change, you can come up with all the theology you want, all the political ideas you want. The fact that God has said that means it will never change. And you want to know where I can give you a Bible verse for that? Turn over to Romans 11. Please. Heading back to Romans because this is new testament somebody might say well that was a lot of old testament verses and it was quite a few of them but we have the new testament that tells us that god is never going to change his mind about israel being his chosen people even though the world's changing it's mind. but if you look in romans 11 look in verse 28 listen to what it says there it says as concerning the gospel they israel are enemies for your sakes But as touching the election, the fact that they're chosen, he says what? They are beloved. Beloved by who? By God. For what reason? For the Father's sake. And look in verse 29 for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. He has called those people, given them gifts, and we'll see that. Bless them above all the nations of the earth. It never changes. And here, I like the NAU translation of that verse, whose verses it says, from the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. And what he's saying by that is, look, right now the Jews' heart is hardened. Their heart is hardened. For the most part, they do not receive the gospel, do they? They are a godless people. And he's saying the reason that, that way is, be, and we'll look at this next week, God has temporarily hardened them, except for a remnant, like soon So there's a small remnant of them that are always he's always had. But for the most part right now, they are enemies of the gospel. They are against the gospel. We went to a Christian group over there. It's persecuted over there trying to evangelize. You're not popular in Israel to go over there as a Christian evangelist. They don't like that. So he's saying, from the standpoint of the gospels, they're enemies for our sake. Because because of that, their hardness has opened the door for our salvation. He goes, but... From the standpoint of God's choice, God's election, from the standpoint of the people that he's picked above all the people on this earth, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers, because for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Never going to be changed. And you stick around long enough, you'll find out. He's going to bring them back and bless them and rule in Zion. So the first point I was rather long when I understand, they won't all be that long but Israel, the Jews have priority over all others. The Jew first. The reason he says that is because they are God's chosen people, His special people. The second reason is is because they have been, above all people, entrusted with God's special revelation. They're the ones who were given the revelation of God. Romans 3, you don't have to turn there. It, you say, thank God I don't have to turn there. <laughs> Wear me out, turn it all these places. But listen to what Romans 3 says. What advantage then has the Jew? Because Paul has just got through saying, the Jews are sinners. <laughs> They're sinners just like the Gentiles. And so he's like, well, then what advantage is there to being a Jew? He asked the question. Or what profit, Paul says, is there of circumcision? And he says, much every way because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. The revelation of God's plan and purpose of salvation was committed to the Jews. So we're there in Romans 11. Just turn back a page to Romans 9. Because look what he says. Romans 9, for "...who are Israelites to whom pertains the adoption, the glory, the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the service of God, and the promises." So the covenants, the law, and the promises, those are the oracles of God that were given to the Jews. And without that revelation that was entrusted to them, we would have no way of knowing the way of salvation. That's, right. Amen. That's the truth. No way of knowing the salvation. And that brings me to the next reason. That was a quick one, wasn't it? Praise the Lord. Number three. The next reason, the third reason that they have the priority, it says to the Jews first, is because salvation is from the Jews. John 4.22, Jesus said this to the Samaritan woman at the well. He said, you worship, you know not what. But we, he counted himself among them, we, the Jews, know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. Salvation is of the Jews or from the Jews. And that is a summary of what we read already in Romans 9, 4 to 5. That's what that's saying there, Romans 9, verses 4 and 5. Salvation, it all pertains to the Jews, from the Jews. He called Abraham, he says they were adopted, the chosen. He called Abraham out of Ur, made an unconditional covenant with him to give him the seed, the land, and God said, I will be yours, I'll be your God. And the second thing it says there, the adoption and the glory. What's that talking about? The glory has been with Israel, not only when they were wandering in the desert, but you could look at that glory as his presence. His presence. The glory of God has been with them. Even when they've been disobedient, His presence has been with them to preserve them. It has. And He goes on to talk about the covenants. Unto them was given the covenants. And so we have the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, and what else do we have in Jeremiah? He speaks of the new covenant, which we partake of that. Who were all those made to? And were were made to Gentiles? The Jews. The covenants. And it's through the Abrahamic covenant that Gentiles have salvation, whether you know that or not, because it is the basis of all other covenants, including the new covenant. Did you know that? Have you ever read Hebrews? Turn to Hebrews if you don't mind. Hebrews 8. Have you ever read this and wondered why Christians embrace this, but it's not named to the Gentiles? So if you look in Hebrews chapter 8, this is a quote of the Jeremiah covenant, the new covenant. But it's in Hebrews, the New Testament. And it says, therefore, this is the covenant that I will make with who? Who is the covenant made with? Does it say the Gentiles? It says the house of Israel, doesn't it? After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And on it goes. So that new covenant was made to who? The new covenant. That's out of the Old Testament. It's made to Israel, is it not? Can you read that? So we're going to talk about this more next week. But we are the wild branches that are grafted into that covenant. But it's Israel's covenant. We're the wild branches that are grafted into their tree. And we owe them a lot. We'll talk about that next week. Back in Romans 9, he's saying the covenant, and he goes on to talk about the law. And if you think the law is no small thing, that is how we understand God's holiness and our sinfulness and our need of a Savior. Because Paul wrote, by the law comes the knowledge of sin. And the law is our schoolmaster to take us to Christ. And how did we get the law? From the Jews. The oracles of God. He goes on to talk about the promises Come from them. Salvation, we're saying, is of the Jews. So God's blessings, His curses, the promise of the Messiah, even the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, was talked about in the Old Testament. The restoration of all things that's going to happen came through Israel. And guess what? It says in verse five. What's the last thing it says that we got from Israel? Salvation is of the Jews. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was a Jew. And some of these places, they can't handle that. And some theologians will say he's an Arian or whatever. They don't want to say he was a Jew. He was a Jew. So we just say salvation is from or of the Jews, and that's why they have priority. And to talk about that, the fourth thing I want to say why they had priority is because our Lord and Savior was a Jew that I just said. He was of the seed of David, it says in Romans 1, 3, according to the flesh. So all I can tell you is the Jesus of the pictures and of all the Hollywood movies, if you waste your time watching them, which I personally wouldn't, because number one, there's a prohibition about making an image of God. At least in Ben-Hur, you never see the face of Jesus, ever. I mean, who is the arrogant actor that is going to portray the Lord? I can't imagine doing that. But anyways, he doesn't look like any of the pictures or the movies. He was a Jew, circumcised as a Jew. He lived in Palestine. He lived the law as a Jew, obeyed the law perfectly. So we're saying to the Jews first, who was his mission to? Do you know who Jesus came to? The Jews. So he told the 12 in Matthew 10 when he sent them out, here's what he said to him: He says, go not into the way of the Gentiles. He said, don't go into Shelbyville can't go there and into any city of the Samaritans enter you not he says but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel go to them first to the Jew first and he told the Syrophoenician woman when she's coming and she's got this daughter she's a Greek she's got this daughter that has problems what did he say to her he says I'm not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel nevertheless I'll give you a crumb and he helped her out. Jesus was a Jew and came to offer salvation to who? The Jews first, and then after they rejected him, the offer was extended to the Gentiles, wasn't it? And he set the pattern, because think about it. That pattern was carried on by the apostle Paul. Now, Paul is called the apostle to the Gentiles, isn't he? Apostle to the Gentiles. But what did he do? The apostle to the Gentiles. Everywhere he went, he offered the gospel to the Jews first. Read your Bible if you don't know that. So when he went on his first missionary journey in Acts 13, he came to Antioch in Pisidia. And the first place he went was to the Jewish synagogue on the Sabbath day. That's what it says he did. And they said, they see him sitting in there, Brother, do you have a word for us? Paul's like, oh, I sure do. I'm ready to preach the gospel. And he preached to the Jews in the synagogue the gospel. Then it says that the next Sabbath day, they all gather again in the synagogue to hear Paul. But some other people came. The whole town's hearing about this. And they came. It made the Jews jealous. And they started fighting. And it said they spoke against the gospel that Paul preached. And it also said that those Jews blasphemed says that they blaspheme and so Paul told them this but listen it was necessary I had to do this it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you but seeing you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life he says lo now I turn to the Gentiles that's what the Lord did that's the way the gospel went after the Jews rejected him it went to the Gentiles And you see it again if you read Acts 28, when he's a prisoner and he's taken to Rome. First thing he does when he enters Rome, they're like, you can have a house and all that and go about freely. He calls for all the Jewish elders to come to his house. He says, I want to talk to you. Calls them first to come into his house. And they're like, well, we haven't really heard anything about you, whatever, one way or another. We'd like to hear what you have to say. And he says, well, I'm here for the hope of Israel. I think that's interesting expectation of Israel their Messiah that's who I'm going to tell you about fellas he says that's why I'm bound in chains but when he gave him the gospel they rejected it rejected his word and so he told them the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles now since you've rejected it and he said and that they will hear it but he still went to the Jews first He knew what Isaiah, he quoted it to him. Isaiah prophesied your heart's going to be hard and your eyes are going to be shut, but still I'm giving you the first chance to the Jews first. And then to us is the way it goes. That was the pattern unto the end, to the Jews first. And the last reason the Jews have a priority, if you're in Romans, go back. We read this, but let's just look at it again in chapter 2. Look what we see here. Because they are God's chosen people and have been given all these privileges, they're also going to have either the greater blessing or the greater judgment. So chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that does evil of the Jew first. And in their mind, the Gentiles were going to get judgment first. But no, uh Because of your privileges comes great responsibility. And he says, and also of the Gentiles in verse 10, but... Glory, honor, and peace to every man that works good, to the Jew first, and also to the Gentiles. So I've already said they had great privileges given to them, divine revelations, covenants, the law, the prophets, God's presence, the Messiah. The Lord came from them, but with those privileges, just like with us, all the gospel we get to hear, comes great responsibility And so he says, if the Jewish people, after all they've been given, if they're found on the day of judgment to be sinners and workers of evil, they will have the first priority in judgment. That's awesome, isn't it? It really is. And Isaiah 5, you don't have to turn to that. The Lord told Israel, you are my vineyard. You're my vineyard. And he says, I've done everything in my power to make you as my vineyard fruitful and for you to bring forth grapes, fruit. But here's what he wrote to him in Isaiah 5. He says, And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, between me and my vineyard. Speaking of Israel, he says, What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, it brought forth wild grapes. And go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard, I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down, and I will lay it waste. So with that privileges and God's blessing doing everything they did, the fact that they brought forth no fruit is going to bring them a stricter judgment. And that same principle applies to us, does it not? I mean, that puts the fear of God in my heart. Because Jesus said in Luke 12, 48, For unto whomsoever much is given of him shall much be required. Solemn words, isn't it? Something to think about. So in conclusion, could you say after what all we've looked at tonight, according to the Bible and Paul, that Israel is just another nation today? <laughs> I mean, among all other nations, a nation That in the world's eyes, and even a lot of Christians' eyes, that can be treated with contempt and disdain. Even though they are an ungodly people. They are. But still, they are beloved because they are God's chosen people. Even if they are enemies of the gospel. So to sum up what we've looked at tonight, the five things, is they are God's chosen people. That's why they're first. God's chosen people, a people chosen above all the peoples of the earth. They're entrusted with God's oracles, His special revelation, the oracles of God. Our salvation is from the Jews. And apart from them, we would have no knowledge of salvation. Our Lord and Savior came from the Jews. Born a Jew of the seed of David. And we said, just as they have priority in the blessings and been given those blessings, if they are faithful and they have a circumcised heart, just not a a circumcised exterior, they'll be blessed first. But by the same token, if they have an uncircumcised heart with all the privileges they have, they will first be the ones to be judged severely. That's what he says. But to the Jew first, God's special people. The next week, I want to look at Romans 9, 10, and 11, and especially with Romans chapter 11. And talk some about the church and Israel and their relationship with each other and Israel's restoration. Amen? Amen? Amen. All right, let's bow our heads. Hallelujah, Father, we just thank you, Lord that we can see you for who you are in your divine sovereignty, and that you just reached your hand down one day with Abraham and you chose your people, a people, your special people, and from him came the nation of Israel, who you bestowed all your privileges on, and that they are first. And I just thank you that you'll help us to see that, to see who they are in your plan, and that we can see that they are beloved for the election and the fact that you chose them to be your people, and they will always be that. And we just pray right now, Lord, for the peace of Jerusalem and that your hand will be on that nation. And we thank you that one day all Israel will be saved, that you will pour out your spirit of grace and supplication on your people, your nation, to fulfill the covenant that you made with your servant Abraham. Amen. And when we see that, Lord, that means Jesus will come back to reign and rule. It'll be a glorious time, and we just thank you that you'll enable all of us in this room, Lord. I just pray that everyone in this room can see that day, that we can all enter into Israel's vine and enter into the covenant that you made with them to be your special people. And I just thank you for teaching us that tonight and being with us tonight, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.